Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in both URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in their upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. So what have you been up to this week, Tom? Uh, I was at the beach. I made a sandcastle, got into the water. Any more uh, dead seals? No, but I had I had scallops and I never had them before. And uh, do you know they're orange? They're kind of orange. Yeah. Yeah. I've had them I, in the chipper before. They're nice. I didn't. Yeah. I was a little bit put off by that. But I ate them. I ate them. <laughs> it was good. I was like, I'm a bit squeamish when it comes to that. Like, I'm not eating. Like, I can't get around the idea of eating crabs. It's like eating sea spiders. Not having it. The state of them, like, looking at them. No way. But I kind of went with scallops. And um, I kind of half regretted it afterwards. Because it just I just couldn't get out of my head that they were orange. Like, I don't think you're supposed to be eating orange meat. Personally, orange meat for me is a no. So, yeah, other than that, I know I wouldn't eat salmon either. I'm Yeah, I'm not a big fish eater now myself. Although I am rather partial to it than monkfish. I've shown a bit of my classy side there now. Do you know, actually, do you know why I won't eat crab? Someone once told me that they have neon green lungs. <laughs> so colorful that, food is not your thing. And that was it for me. Neon green lung. Not eating that shit. Not a chance. <laughs> Jeff, how was your week? Fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, Excellent uh, stuff. Enough about me, Owen. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to uh, Saturday and uh, heading up to make the big trip to Dublin. Another one. I, I managed to... What you call it? I actually did a trip... Dublin on Saturday evening there and went up went up to Ikea for my sins you should have called in for tea I'm not too far away I wasn't at home actually so maybe you shouldn't have but called in they have a great canteen in Ikea oh we had the dinner there yeah we Uh, had dinner on Saturday evening bank holiday Saturday won't have no crab crab lungs in there no we had the the meatballs I heard nothing but good things about the, the food in Ikea but I've never gotten it oh it's well worth it yeah, like, well worth I, it. I don't know. In my head, I'm just kind of like, I'm in a furniture shop. Like, how good can the food be? It's very nice. Like, I went in there once, like, <coughs> when I was absolutely fucked in Dublin, like, fucked, broke the ropes, needed to get something in Ikea, right? So, I got bus fare out there to get the bus to Ikea. It's fairly grim in the first place, right? Because I had to take back whatever I got on the bus, too. So, there I was. I was shambling around the place like a zombie, like a walking fucking dead, looking for, I think it was a, a desk or something. I needed a desk. And just uh, going in there and like the highlight of that entire grim day was the food in the canteen was just very fucking nice. And uh, And uh, yeah, very cheap, cheap, which was very important to bum me. (laughs) Hobo Tom, Hobo Tom eating fucking expired, expired ham and duns. Don't take my garbage. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> oh, you were eating orange meat back then. <laughs> oh, the orange meat. No, it was grey. That was worse. Grey meat. <laughs> oh. oh, that's nasty. That's nasty. Okay. Well, look, we'll um, move on from meat discussions to uh, rugby. Uh, so we'll start with Munster, who beat Cardiff 42-21 on Friday evening in Musgrave Park and in the process guaranteed themselves a playoff spot and Champions Cup rugby for next season. Um, Cardiff did cause Munster some problems with their strike moves. 
And while Munster weren't perfect, they played some excellent attacking rugby at times. And there was at least a continuation of the rugby they were set, they played against Ulster. Um, and I don't think the the win was ever really in doubt. Tom, you were at the match. What did you make of it? I can speak with quite some authority on this. It being the only game that I saw this weekend because I was actually at this game. <laughs> it was really entertaining. Now, I know I didn't pay to get in, but I would have paid to get in if I had my time over again. <laughs> I would have paid in because it was very entertaining. Um, lots of really good rugby. Cardiff showed up to play. Looked really good, actually, at times. Um, and some lovely tries from Munster. Like the the first two scores that I saw from Munster in this game were some of the best stuff I've seen from Munster all season long, actually. Um, which was just a very, you know, you know, like the thing is, like I've seen like bullshit nonstop right on Twitter, and I always hear it after um, like Gallagher Premiership games where they were very high scoring, and there's a guy who's walking, he's saying, I was walking out of, you know, the fucking whatever stadium I was at, and do you know what? I overheard somebody saying, a, a child saying to his father, looking up with adoring eyes and saying, Dad, can we go back and watch that again? And then the father saying, Yes, son. Yes, we can go back to see fucking Worcester Warriors or whatever it is. And it's just like, what a load of fucking bullshit. But this isn't bullshit because I did hear people walking out the stadium because I was I was rushing because I was thinking this fucking Ed Sheeran guy is going to hold me up again. As I was walking out, um, people were just like, well, yes, that was very fucking good. That was ex- that was actually a really good game. That was actually. The-. And the thing is, it was. And like you look at how entertaining it was. And I think that a lot of people there were kind of going, do you know what? Next time they're around, maybe I will go back because um, lots of nice rugby, nice tries. Uh, the burger van was good as ever. That was a very entertaining game. I actually felt I really enjoyed how Munster kept playing to the second line of attack and the third line of attack. Because even from the start, you could see Cardiff just looking to blitz it. Like Cardiff love Cork. Um, they just love, they seem to love playing in Cork. But you could just see them trying to blitz that, um, you know, screen pass and everything like that. But Munster just kept going. Like, and when you saw the handbags at the start, it was like, here we go. We are, here we go. We, we are on one here. Like, Peter Manny um, missed out on it last week. So he's just like, <laughs> I'm getting right back into it. <laughs> uh, um, one of the lads once said that Peter Manny would fight the corner flag if it blew into him in the wind. And I kind of tend to believe him. Corner flag um, was fucking looking at him weird though. But I love I love that kind of a bowling like. But straight from the off, then you know they tried to blitz that that screen pass. Munster kept going, but Munster were hugely dominant. Like they threw twenty one offloads in that game, mm. and you don't throw twenty one offloads unless you're winning. Get the klaxon ready unless you're winning collisions, like you yeah. know. And they 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 were just hugely hugely dominant to the point where they actually only conceded six penalties as well. Like that's a very clean game full of. Just full of attack, like it was, actually- and, I, and and you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of hard shots going out there as well. Like, as in that was a yeah. spicy enough contest, too. So, like, it, it flowed well, yeah. I, th- I think Munster's Munster's well, you call it call it physicality, whatever you want, but like you could see Cardiff, Cardiff were shipping injuries, they were they were trying really hard and they were putting it in, but they started shipping injuries fairly early on, and I, I think it impacted them. I think Munster again, <clears throat> my. My only worry coming up to the Toulouse game and the, the playoffs is that for the last couple of weeks, Munster have been dominant in the collisions. And when they have done that, they've been able to get over the game line. 
and and make the offloads and make it look pretty. And it, I think the real test is going to, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, is going to come, can they replicate that against the bigger teams? Um, and I think when they can do it and when they can get over that game line, I think they've showed more in the last couple of games than they have all season in terms of the passes sticking and maybe being more cohesive as an attack. Maybe since the um, first three games of the season, actually. The, the, the away game against Scarlet was a very good example of what we're kind of seeing now. And it's when the, when the weather is good, it seems that Munster are kind of more than happy now to show the ball around, which, again, I think people were talking about, oh, would it, would it be a bit, of, a bit of rain on Saturday? Would it suit Munster? I think it'd be the worst, fucking last fucking thing you'd want. You'd be looking at, you know, you want, you want Munster to be going playing ball. I think that's what they want to do. And uh, one thing actually, oh, not, not to jump in on you there, the opening couple of minutes, uh, I thought Cardiff were very physical in the carry. A lot of arms, a lot of, they were very, very I, aggressive. I actually caught, I actually said it on Twitter. It was one of the things I noticed was actually the high elbows that they were going into contact with. I saw it in the first five minutes. It was at least four or five where the elbow was up as they carried it. They were putting shots on. I went back and watched it maybe five times to see where that elbow actually starts. Yeah, Um, like they were high enough. No, it starts tucked. Like for me, it was fine. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of... A couple of rewinds, and I was like, "Where does he start with that elbow?" Like they were, yeah. they were up for it, like. And then, but Munster though, on the next possession, pretty much, like Munster were doing their violence on the ground, like yeah, Munster's yeah. breakdown entries were off fucking kick, off that kick that started everything. Like, that yeah, was, they that were, was, yeah, bitter. <laughs> it was fucking hard going, like, because then Munster were really putting shots in, and I think that's an area where Munster can. Because there is going to be a size, a size differential against uh, Toulouse, or as I've been calling this week, Foulouse. Talking shit. But, <laughs> but uh, that's an area where I think Munster can get around the, uh, the size differential that's obviously there is with that impact on the ground. And I think that's an area where the Irish sides over the last couple of, well, certainly since over the last two or three seasons, maybe longer actually, have been that's been a real focal area for them, but I think for Munster in this game, it really will be on the evidence of the last two games because again, some of those breakdown entries were fucking wicked. And you have to against Toulouse because if you look oh, at yeah. what they did in the ground against Ulster, they just went at him on the ground. So it's um that I think I think the actual breakdown itself, well, there always is a big part in every game, but I think it's going to be huge in this one. Like, yeah, it's going to be a war zone. Yeah, clean and efficient on your own ball, but being an absolute pest on theirs. Yeah, and and maybe we'll we'll go to the Toulouse match first then. So before we discuss the off-field news. So Munster face Toulouse on Saturday afternoon in the Aviva. Um, I think it's 35,000 tickets sold already in our weekly seat watch selection. Um, I'm running out of seats to look at. (laughs) <laughs> Damn it I wanted more seats Stop buying tickets guys <laughs> This wasn't part of the plan So Toulouse warmed up uh, For the game With a 23-16 win At home to La Rochelle um, Munster are without Kilcoyne Snyman Byrne Hodnett Clote And Coombs uh, But Andrew Conway Has resumed training And a decision On his availability For the match To be made Later in the week um, and I suppose if we look at Munster, they have some decisions, and Van Gran in particular has some decisions to make. I think probably the two biggest ones for me are around scrum half and then how he 
mixes his bench to allow impact because I think one of the one of the major things that we that I took from last year's uh, knockout game in Tolmont when Toulouse uh, were there was the impact that the bench had for Toulouse at around that sort of 55, 60 minute. They brought on big power players and Munster struggled for 15, 20 minutes when they came on. And I think the Van Gran, even with the injuries, he needs to sort of figure out how he mixes and matches that. Whether he has someone like, is Jenkins going to come off the bench? Or does he use someone like, you know, or does he use him from the start with someone like Klein and go for a real power approach and things like that? And as I said, the other one then is, you know, do you use Casey for the sort of the high tempo for the first 60 minutes and Murray to close out the game? Or do you swap it around or keep that sort of experience to start with? Just, Jeff, just, I'll go to you first on that. Yeah, just, just on the Casey one first off, I've had a good think about this now all week. Um, and I was asked this question on another podcast as well, but... For me, I would start Casey. And my logic here is that first off, I'm as as you probably both know, like I'm not someone who just says, Oh, throw in the young lads because you know they're doing well or they're young, they'll be fine, kind of a thing. Like I, I need a bit of logic to my reasoning. But Casey made his debut, his senior debut for Munster three years ago now. Like he's not a young lad. He's played enough games. He's he's been there long enough. Now, if you look at Murray, been there, done that. I get it. Been involved in a lot of big games, and I don't just mean for Munster. Like, like he's a lion, numerous time lion. So, like you know, if you're Van Gran, you're probably thinking to yourself, Murray is the safer option here. But, like, if you're going for a player just because they're the safer option, like in terms of perception. That to me isn't enough. I think when you're looking at who's in, who's across from you, who like what nine is across from you, I think that Casey has, I suppose, the electricity. The he has the, the like the zip, the energy, whatever, to deal with Dupont both in attack and defence and track. And like Dupont's a hard dude to track. Don't get me wrong. Like he's the best player in the world for a very good reason. But Casey is electric. And not only that, but Murray's been there, done that, worn the T-shirt, but he's been there and done all that because he's been given an opportunity. And how long are you going to deny what is the future nine for Munster? Like, like hands down, let's be honest here. Like, yeah, as, 100% as soon, he is. As soon yeah. as Murray hangs up his boots, bona fide starting nine, Casey, bang, done. How long are you going to deny him an opportunity of starting games like this so that when Murray does hang up the boots eventually, like you have an absolutely perfect replacement ready to go, boom. So for me, just because of what he can bring to the game, what he can do against Dupont, what he's able to do, and like Craig Casey's also a very physical guy, like like he picks much bigger fellas up and he bounces them on like many occasions. So for me, Casey starts Murray's the safer option, don't get me wrong, in terms of the public saying, well, we all expected that, but that's not enough of a reason for me. I'd go <clears throat> I'd go for Casey to start as well, and mainly for two reasons. The first one is, I think Casey's style of play, I think his range of passing, the zip he puts on it, and the tempo he can bring to the game, 
suits the way Munster have been playing the last couple of weeks the best. And if Munster are going to play that way, I think you put your best player in to, to help you play that style. And then secondly, I also think having someone like Murray to come on maybe with the, and I use this, this term maybe a bit loosely, the lesser experienced of the tens. So if you have to bring on Healy or whoever it is, they're going to put on as the, the bench 10 to have someone like Murray to come on with him at the end as a pairing, looking at it that way is maybe a better mix rather than have Casey and Healy as, as that sort of pairing uh, to come off the bench. I think mixing and matching that way. And again, looking at impact, that could be, that would be the way I would prefer to see it used. Do you have a line of Toulouse shirts ready to go for next week's episode? I do. I have a Toulouse shirt. Yes. I've actually seen him wearing it before on this very podcast. So that's going to be ready. It's a very old one. It's only got one star on it. That's how old it is. <laughs> Ugh, get, get rid of that. Get rid of that old shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully retro. Uh, for me, I would go with, I'd start with Casey because I think if you're Toulouse and you're looking at the last number of weeks and you're looking at Munster when Munster were looking the most undefendable at times, it was with Craig Casey at nine. I think uh, Casey's passing his pass quality, his, and never mind pace tempo, his pass quality, his kicking has really come on. Like I've looked at Murray the last couple of weeks. He's been good. Like he's been, he's been decent. Like I wouldn't say, oh, Murray's been shocking or anything like that. I, I don't, I don't think that he, that, that Conor Murray has a shocking game in him really. Um, But I look at uh, the way Casey has been performing. And for me, I would go with the guy who's been adding real energy. Like why not have that for 60, 65 minutes? And why not have a hugely experienced guy like Conor Murray coming off the bench to close out a game? Or because again, like I, I, I could see arguments as to well why you would finish with Casey because you would imagine at maybe around 60, 65 minutes or whatever else, maybe 60 minutes, you would imagine Toulouse would be at a point where, okay, they've brought on their bench now, they've been on for a while. We're going to try and work these guys. Let's up the let's up the pace now. Let's get let's let's up the temperature. And Craig Casey's the guy to come on and do that. All of a sudden you're playing with more width, more pace, and you're going to be attacking holes you expect might be there. I get that logic. But for me, I think that you can't sit back on on, on a Toulouse side like this. For me, I would start with Casey and look to try and finish it out with Murray. Like I I, I ideally like you, you would be leading at that point. But again, we've seen Conor Murray, if he comes on with a 15-minute, 20-minute job to do, either close out a game or close a gap or whatever else. Because again, if Munster are losing by 10 or 15 points with 60 minutes to go, look, or 20 minutes to go, rather, at that point, you know, you're under massive pressure anyway. But I think that Munster have a game that can hurt to lose. And the guy who I've seen playing best in that style over the last couple of weeks has been Craig Casey. And as for the, 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 the replacements... Have to go big off the bench for me. So that's Jenkins, a Hearn maybe. I'd go with a 6-2 if possible, I'd depending on who's fit and available. Well, yeah. mm. I'd go with Jenkins on the bench. I'd go with a Hearn on the bench and uh, go big. Because again, look, last last year, uh, we had Billy Holland coming off the bench. And like, God bless him for playing to, the mid, to his mid-30s in the second row, the most physical position in the field for a guy who was, what, 6-3? And uh, light at that. He was doing fucking fabulously well. But we've got size and power now to come off the bench this time. And with, with Klain playing so well, 
Finneen Richardly playing absolutely fantastic rugby, I think, over the last couple of months. Uh, you've got a, a, a back five there that can go at that can go at this uh, Toulouse side. Josh Richardly, I would put him on the bench. Josh Richardly, launch him. John Ryan, launch them. And just have a right crack off Toulouse. Because I think, I think Munster can get at them. Yeah, and I think then the, the only other thing that we will just mention before we move on from Munster is obviously uh, Mike Prendergast. So thanks again to uh, Munster Rugby for getting their news out on a Wednesday afternoon that allows us to uh, cover this. So uh, Prendergast was announced officially today as signing a three-year deal. So he will join as a attack coach under Graham Rowntree for next season. Um, a very good signing. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Um, Jeff, what do you reckon about it? Oh, it's a brilliant signing. Like, um, not just his own rugby IQ, but like he understands the club. He knows what the identity is. He understands the people. I'm sure he understands what fans want to see and everything like that. But not only that, like, but the the attacking frameworks he's implemented in the different clubs he's been in has been, I suppose, how do I say, it? has been reflective of what he's working with. Like, he's not just turned around and said. Okay, we're gonna, you know, like like Rassing's pack is massive, but they play beautiful rugby. He's not just turned around and said, "Okay, we're just gonna play up the jumper kind of stuff here." Like he puts in a, a framework, and whatever those players do within that framework is up to them. He's like, I, I am so excited to see what the likes of Casey, Carberry, or Hearn, and Crowley. Crowley. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I can't wait to see what these guys can do under this lad because. Like the the style he enjoys, and I suppose the or not the autonomy, but the I suppose the control he relinquishes to the players at the same time. The there's a word there I can just kind of think of it. Um, but like just letting them take ownership of it at the same time, like it, it, I think he's going to bring them on hugely. Um, and not only that, but he's a gentleman, an absolute gentleman. Mm. Um, and I think he's going to work really well with um Graham Rowntree and whoever. Else is confirmed next Wednesday, hopefully, at about <laughs> five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure, look, you can get more about that on the uh, Loosehead Patreon and uh, Three Red Kings Patreon. I'm going to open up my, I think, my own Patreon page. I'm going to make it, um, or maybe an, an OnlyFans page. Maybe oh, go, yeah, go with now, that. Now we're talking. Now we're o- only, only fans. <laughs> Maybe change it to only props or something. You know, Video, like, videos of you changing into a new rugby jersey every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yes, this is going to be subscription oh, only stuff. That's the fucking stuff. No boy. Tell you what. <laughs> Tell you the fellow who was pissed off last year or last week about this being a transition year level podcast isn't going to be very happy about all the <laughs> Jesus Christ! Any big shout you, out, big shout chance, out to Brian. Any chance you could take the brunt of it next week? Like. No, you get no, all the you, you you get all the melts into and I think you like that. I think you like that. Let's get on to anyway. I can promise you. If, right if now, you disagree with anything on this podcast, please please, please email loosehead or DM Jeff on Instagram. <laughs> Just get on to me. No, everyone else seems to. Oh God, Tom is there talking about orange fucking meat at the start of this, and I'll get the the abuse then. But yeah, it's like oh orange meat. What's what's wrong with red meat, Jeff? Jeff. <laughs> I had someone on to me last night giving out about South Africa being in Europe as well next year, as if I was the one who made the decision. I was kind of like, 
I the, don't the only way the only way that person could be pissed off is if you were teaching them geography. So. Yeah, I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know um, how to tell you this, but I have very little to do with this situation. But um, like as I said here on on the, on WhatsApp, because we we have the pre production meetings on WhatsApp where we just bitch about everybody, literally everybody. You could possibly you're all pricks, every all pricks. fucking one of them. You listen to yeah. it. It could be yeah. you. It could be you. It was just like the oh, the, Europe, it's the European Champions Cup. They're from South Africa. What's going on there? A South <laughs> aren't, they on a, aren't they on a different continent? What's going on here? A South Africa. How do you South and Africa? South South of Africa? This is that's, like, a, that's very vague. This is more <laughs> what a vague name for a country. <laughs> it's like Northern Ireland. It's just like, oh, just up there. <laughs> but you look at, oh, and I'm going, you're going to get somebody into your emails now about that now. Sorry, sorry about that. I didn't Jake. say it. Sorry about that. Oh, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Jeff. You're going to be getting it in your emails. Let's move on. But your man was just <laughs> like, if he if he's unhappy about them, the European about the European Cup having South Africans in it, like wait till he finds out that half the team in it, more than half the teams in it aren't even champions. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Exciting times. Um, right, we need to go with predictions then for Monster to lose. Monster. Monster. I go three for Monster. Right. Yeah. So get in welcome. there. Welcome. Get in there. I, I'm all, all on board. Yes. That's Negativity's the stuff, gone. That's the Negativity's gone. That's the I'll bring it back next week. Don't worry. Um, okay. We'll move on then to Leinster, who lost 2013 away to the Stormers on Saturday. But by denying the Stormers a try bonus point and picking up a losing bonus point themselves, they've secured top spot in the league with a round to spare. Um, <clears throat> Leo Cullen took the chance when he left the internationals and first team coaches back in Dublin for the tour to South Africa. But given the two losing bonus points and securing the top spot, I think he's been more than justified at this point. Um, and I, I suppose the other side of that is he's done probably quite a bit for camp morale in terms of the, those further down the depth chart in terms of getting them games and particularly for something that they may not have had the opportunity to do had this been earlier in the season or had... Um, I suppose the league situation been slightly different. Um, the game itself, Leinster rolled their luck to an extent in terms of relying on their defence, um, but they held out and got exactly what they needed. Um, I think we've there was, or sorry, there was some really good displays. I thought um, from the younger players, I, one that stood out to me, I thought was um, Alex Soroka. I thought he was excellent. His his line out work um, and athleticism. Were, were fantastic to see. Um, and one thing that sort of stood to, or that came to mind when I saw him playing was he looks to be a slightly more physical type of player than Ryan Baird, that same sort of mold that they're looking for. Um, not necessarily the, the sort of the more mobile dynamic lock, but seems to be sort of that mix between the sort of the, the tight head type lock and the dynamic one. And he seems to be able to add something to it. Um, and I it think... reminds me a lot of uh, Kean Prendergast. Yeah, actually. Oh yes. And I don't, yeah. I don't mean just like haircut, etc. Like just the way he plays, like his physicality, his athleticism, his ability. Like it just reminds me a lot of of Prendergast. Yeah. And I remember watching him uh, for the twenties there last year as well. Like he was. Was, that, was it just last year? Was the year before? I can't remember. Sorry, but this year it was this year he played with Kendall. Year, yeah, 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 yeah. And like he was. Kendall, sorry. He, he was yeah. brilliant, like, you know, and uh, it's great to see him, like you said, come into a game against the Stormers like that. Not much senior game time with Leinster and, like, stand out. Like, absolutely tore it up. 
Um, yeah, it was. It was. I think a lot of what we said last week about Leinster going into this game though came true. Um, in terms of cohesion and everything like that, like when you think about it, like they got it, they got the job done getting that losing bonus point. But it was a very un Leinster like performance. But that just kind of comes with the selection. You know what I mean? It it comes with guys not playing much, if any rugby coming in. Like they made one clean break in the game, and that's not a lot. You know. Uh, 78% tackle success and we talked last week about the defence being fractured as a result of probably not playing together and a lack of cohesion like 78% tackle success is on the lower rate 17 penalties shows the pressure they were under and yet they still came away with a losing bonus point so I mean overall well, I think they'll be very happy I look I think they'll be very happy I think like one of the things that I that I had seen from it was I thought that the cohesion from Leinster was greater than necessarily the game management from the South African sides. And like if you if you flip that around, like um do the South African sides have a true chance of winning the URC? And like I'll 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 kick it off with what what I suppose my own view first of all. Like I think the South African sides and particularly like looking at the sharks in detail over the last few weeks. The Sharks have been mixed, <laughs> to say the best, I suppose, the best way of looking at it. Um, they have some outstanding individuals. They have some huge, absolute monster players, particularly in the tight five. But I just think that they lack the game management and the cohesion as a team almost um, to be able to go on and truly challenge. And I think the biggest thing for for this South African sides if they're to make any sort of a run they're going to have to get games in South Africa up to the semi-finals at least to get them through that far and I think I don't know whether maybe even going back to last year's Rainbow Cup that was a big thing for the Bulls that they they actually got schooled a little bit in that they should have beaten um, Benetton take that back yeah <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Bus Driver. <laughs> take, that, take that, reel it in. Get off the bus. Um, but like on, on paper, they probably should have beaten Benetton last year. Um, but again, there's a sort of I think they're going through a transition period of coming from something in super rugby where they're going from a situation whereby it's oh yeah, you're gonna score, well, we'll score, we'll get the ball back and we'll score next time. And suddenly it's you know. 50 points to, you know, 40 or whatever it is that it turns out. Whereas I think teams are putting them under a lot more pressure tactically now, and they're they're struggling at times to do it. They have the players, I think, and size to bully teams and the lower teams and to build the points. But it'll be interesting to see how they come out in the playoffs against the very top teams when everyone's fully loaded. I, I, um, think, they, I, think, I think they've got issues at a halfback, the South African yeah. sides, nearly all, almost all of them. Yeah, like a great shout, yeah. You know, you look at like Mornay Stain, for example, right? Great player, but like as in he's he's nearly as old as myself now. Do you know he's pushing on a bit? And like his ability to be able to dominate the game is limited a little bit. He's not a freak like Jonathan's excellence. Like so just, you, just on that, Tom, yeah. like and and I'll let you I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like if you think about the South African teams, the said the box themselves, most of the halfbacks that they have are actually playing in Europe. That's they're it. playing in 
they're playing with European teams. They're not playing with the, their their own teams, and I think that's a that's a great shout around that. Like what what they wouldn't give to get like Faf de Clerk back from Sale. I don't know where he's going after. I think he's because I think he is leaving Sale. But like you look at um, the the guys who I've seen, like all talented players. Like there's the young fellow Vandenberg. I think for for the Lions, I like him a lot. He looks like a really good player. But I think like if I was to say like the biggest issue for them would be like consistent quality at ten would be the main thing because like you look they've got a couple of good good, good players at scrum half uh, again guys who I think are incomplete you know you look at uh, Yanchis I think for the Stormers he's very up and down um they've got a couple of other guys as well but I think ten is the big one for all of the franchises there um to be able guys who can drive them around the pitch with consistency. Because uh, again, I look at some of the guys who are there, like the, they're all good players with, with kind of really good areas of their game. But when it comes to their overall control of the game, that's been the one thing I think I've looked at the South African sides thinking, geez, if these guys could get back in Andre Pollard or someone like that, whichever South African franchise, would, and I know he's going to Tigers, like, but whatever franchise would get him back would be in a massive massively strong position because I think that's the one area. It's not just about goal kicking because they've got guys who are good goal kickers, guys who are good attackers. I think it's their overall like their strategic management of the game on field for me has been the big issue for the South African sides. And if they could, especially the Bulls, I think, if they could shore that area of the game up, the Bulls would be a fucking nightmare to take on. Really. Like if they got an elite 9 and 10, they'd be a fucking nightmare. Um, And again, I think that that's going to be the thing that's going to hold them back at when it comes to the knockout stages, I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I pretty much. I totally agree with you there. Like, the, like the sharks, for example. How good would they be with like a, a kind of a like a, even a, like a a mid level international level ten? Like, how good would they be? Like, it just seem very disconnected to me. Yeah, I think you look at the the sharks type five. That is as big and as good as you're going to get. Man. Right? I think in in sort of that level club provincial rugby, whatever you want to call it. If you can get someone that can move them around the pitch properly control the game i think you 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 have the basis of a team that can be real real contenders for the for the champions cup not just for the urc but it's i think maybe this is one of the reasons why razi wanted them back in in european competition is to help develop that at an overall level and it's just going to take a few years for it to happen oh uh, yeah it will i think because i i just think that europe next year will be like guys will either sink or swim there you know and uh, I think that's what Razi Razi is going to like that, like because again you you'll see the level of fellas fairly quickly because again the box like all the, the South African teams are signing guys back in again. Look at Rance Jens uh, Jens Rans, Van Rensburg coming back to uh, the Sharks from from Sale from the other Sharks, very good signing, and they're bringing guys back. Like I mean, used to be the other only the other other way around, but yeah, they're going very well except for that area. I feel. I think yeah. Le- Leicester are really going to have to dominate their set piece and I think their front five will look to do that as well around the park and I think that's what Leinster really have to look forward to uh, or be wide of in this uh, upcoming European game um, of the province you know we're just you know just getting this back on track because only track. sucked down a rabbit hole there as well it's like which is rare it's like rare. we're talking about Leinster it's just like are you alright Jeff <laughs> I was just like, I'm just off there thinking about fucking tens. Yeah. Just thought I'd just direct this guide, yeah. you know. Okay. We'll, Wait, just for you, Jeff, we'll bring do back you have Do you have a script there as well? Uh, no, but yes, but 
I haven't okay, I haven't read it, but I know we were talking about Leinster and I know yes. Leinster play Leicester. So I just kind of put two and two together and uh went back on track. Right for, for the listeners. I'm sorry, I can tell I can tell both of you think I'm very rude for saying what No, I, I was just like I was just like thinking, what's but it's okay. are, we, are, we, are we talking last about, week? Are we talking about Leinster? What? This is a monster podcast. Week, and now he wants to bring it back on track. <laughs> Unacceptable, Jeff. I've Unacceptable. Changed. I've changed. Yeah. I've grown up a lot since TY. I'm ready to. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm ready to stay here forever. I've grown up a lot. I went to Dossing. work experience this week. <laughs> went on work experience this week and, you know, time is money. So let's go, folks. Right. You know, right, I've, Lens- I've, I've matured. Right, Leinster travel to Welford Road for their Champions Cup quarterfinal on Saturday evening, and they have pretty much a full squad, I think, to pick from. Um, James Tracy, Will Connors, and Dave Carney, I think, are the only players unavailable. Ronan Kelleher and Ryan Baird are both back in full training, and James Ryan was declared fit to resume play before their trip to South Africa. Um, coaches, Leinster coaches have, the senior coaches have been left back in Dublin with the internationals. Uh, preparing for this game for three weeks now, so they'll you'd expect them to be fully focused. Um, I think the bookies have them as six point favorites for the game, despite being the away team. Um, but Tigers are unbeaten in all competitions at home this season, and top the Gallagher Premiership ahead of Saracens in second. Um, so what can we expect from from this game? I think Jeff, you mentioned there the set piece. Oh, and I also set piece monsters like Leicester, like they. That's love going to be the big battle between the. I think scrum and line out particularly, um, going to be key for it. And I'd also say potentially the kicking game. The um Tigers play a very controlled game, and where they play territory, so they're they're not they don't want to play in their own half, and they will use their kicking game to move it out of that, and they're very disciplined about it. Um, I think you can expect George Ford to kick a lot of ball and you'll expect the Leinster back three to be dealing with aerial balls quite a bit on Saturday afternoon. So, um, Jeff, as you brought up the set piece, I'll go to you first then on that. Yes. <laughs> How do you think that set piece will play out? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, well, first off, in terms of team selection, I think you're going to see pretty much an Irish pack like let's be honest here there might be maybe Maloney in the second row who is probably the only non-Irish starter in a pack let's say I think you're going to see um, Porter Kelleher Furlong I think James Ryan will come into this game yeah Um, I think probably Maloney in there as well and then you're going to see Doris um, Conan Vanderfleer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think you're essentially going to see an Irish pack here. So in terms of the scrum, like Leicester love the scrum. And if we look back at, let's say, if you look back at that that uh, second game or that game in Welford Road against Connacht in Europe, any penalty they got that was, you know, in the the near enough in a, t- a, a close attacking opportunity, they were like, yeah, we'll scrum it. Like the points get fucked. We're, we're scrummaging this, like. And they scrummaged and scrummaged and scrummaged till they get a yellow card and they scrummed again and they scored a try. And they like they'll they, break you there, like that's exactly they're very, very that's, good. That's a, that's a lovely way of phrasing it. Like they will just look to and they won't stop, like they'll keep going. And like even when you think, okay, there's you know, they're not getting much parity here, they're just gonna go again. 
and go again until that advantage comes until they feel a creak and then they're just going to boom they're just going to bang in it because they love the scrum their set piece is very good it's probably on par with ulsters sorry their their lineup's very good it's probably on it's probably on par with ulsters i think in terms of being a weapon so like in terms of leinster's perspective in scrums they're going to have to go to a very dark place i think um yeah there's going to be big pressure on ronan kelleher big pressure and andrew Um, porter in particular are going to come under big big technical pressure from this tiger scrum i would say yeah, so they're in the scrum, go to some very deep place, dark places. In the line-out D then, especially Mall D, they're just going to have to be so switched on. Technically very, very good. Um, very fast at getting organized at the threat in front of them. Reading it, like everything. I think in terms of the game, it's going to... Like, like kind of the way we talked about Munster there coming down to the breakdown against Toulouse, I think this is going to be a set-piece game and that's going to be the decider, to be honest with you. Because Leicester love it. My big worry from a Leinster perspective is um, Leicester do not get impatient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you look at you look at Leinster. Um, anytime they've they've played a big kick pressure team, I look back at Saracens again. That was kind of prime Saracens. You know, they played a very patient game where they don't really give a fuck if they have to kick the ball. 20, 25, 30 times in a game, they'll do it. Like Leinster kicked the ball in the URC longer than anybody. So, like, if you look at their, like, they, they don't kick all that much, relatively speaking, but they do kick longer than anybody. So, what they do is they boot that ball long down the field and then they invite you back in transition and they smash you. And that's where they catch you. And they, they, they catch you trying to make a, a, a break on transition. Leicester, well, I've seen them a fair bit this season. They don't get sucked into that. They play a very, like, they know what their game is. Like Steve Bortwick, when he came in, he stripped back a lot of what Tigers were trying to do. They'd been trying to evolve their game a small bit. But he stripped it right back. Like, they play a very hard style of kick pressure where they will put air in the ball and they will challenge you under the high ball. And if you knock the ball on or if they knock the ball on they're happy enough they're happy enough taking that and they'll pressure you they'll take the scrum they'll go for the scrum and they will hurt you there and that's the thing for for um for for Leinster in this game they need to look after that area of the game they need to be very very strong there because George Ford's going to test them in the backfield they're going to get tested under the high ball by uh, is it Van Portfleet or whoever it is they're going to go uh, I, I think that's where Leinster or Leicester would try to get into the game. I think if Leinster start bossing possession and they start getting the kind of the penalty wins, that once they start getting those penalty position, they're very difficult to stop. It's going to be a very, very tight game, I feel. Hard to know, especially with Matthew Reynal refereeing, refereeing this as well. This could go anywhere. This could go anyway. That's the thing. Like, you don't know, like, as in, if he takes a queer look at you at the scrum, like, that's you done in the game. Like, if he decides early on that Leicester are on top in the scrum, this could be a bloody long day for Leinster. And like, as good as they are, um, that's going to be the big battle: is winning over Matthew Reynal and getting him not on your side, but getting him and the idea that you're the one who's trying to play, you're the one who's going forward. That's going to be hugely important in dominating in dictating where this game is going to go, because Matthew Reynal will dictate it for you if you don't dictate to him. 
So that's going to be really, really interesting. Um, and I just, it's very, very tough to call because again, I keep thinking, oh, Leinster, Leinster, look, they've got an Irish pack there, as you said, Jeff, they're really, really good. But then I look at Leicester and go, they're at home, they play kick pressure and they don't give a shit about losing patience. That generally, when teams do that to Leinster, they can frustrate them. So, you know, you look at the size of the guys they have, their pack, it's going to be very tight. Um, I don't know. I don't know what way it's going to go, really. This is one of the yeah. think, hardest, <clears throat> hardest calls. Like, you know, when you ask us our predictions on, I think this is genuinely, and I know I was five for five last week, just slipping that in. But this, is, <laughs> this is one of the hardest, I think. Um, I, you, you can come up with reasons as to why Leinster win and win well, why Leinster win narrowly, why Leicester win narrowly, and why Leicester win well. Like, it's yeah. just, like, there's equally valid reasons for all of those. And I think you're you're wrong. To me, it, it comes down probably to who who is physically dominant. And I think both in the at the breakdown and at at the scrum particularly will will probably decide a lot of that. And a lot of it will just go down to the picture you're painting the ref in it in it. Um, and a very tasteful picture of him sitting on a bench somewhere, looking off at the scenery. <laughs> And he's just Avail- like av- available on my OnlyFans. He's like, mm, <laughs> c'est bon. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll I'll go. I I think Tigers are on their way back up, but I don't think they're quite there at top European level yet. And I think Leinster will just squeak this. That's my prediction. Tom, you're up. I'm gonna go with a. Yeah, that's why I didn't want to go. One <laughs> point. Leicester win. Ooh. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Mr. Um, five for five. Um I like I want to say Leinster, but everything is telling me Leicester. Do you know that kind of way? Like, yeah, no, I was I'm, kind of the same there thinking, I'm, no, but it's Leinster. Like, but I'm not, I'm not going to be happy with my answer either way. I don't think so. I, I, yeah, I'm going to go with Leicester. So, so Sophie's choice of predictions. <laughs> yeah. Rugby, rugby will be the winner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the winner will be anyone who's interested in the set piece, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go Leicester, to be honest. Leicester. Okay, two Leicester and one Leinster then. Um, by the way, I don't have a Leinster shirt and I'm not getting one for next week um, if they do win. Uh, so we'll move on then to Ulster um, who got back to winning ways with a hard-fought 16-10 uh, win away to Edinburgh on Saturday night. Ulster seemed to get rid of their Champions Cup hangover that impacted the Munster game as well and um, a good defensive display in the second half saw them through. Um, they lost Ian Henderson to a head injury and conceded a yellow card within the first five minutes, but they did take in a 13-0 lead at halftime. Um, well, Edinburgh came back in the second half. It wasn't enough, and now Ulster hosts Sharks in the final round of the league with the winner getting themselves a home quarterfinal. Um, a good defensive stand at the end of the game that uh, kept Edinburgh out. But do you think this was Ulster's most important win of the season? given what was on the line. It's it, like, you wouldn't be ridiculed for saying it was, would you? If they lost that, should it, it was possible for them to be an eighth. Yeah. By the yeah. end of the match, by the end of the, of the round. Like, yeah. how mad is that? Like, yeah. 
it's um, for, it's it's an unbelievable ending to the season, isn't it? Like, and like this is probably a good time to say we actually don't like we do not work for the URC. We just recognise what is a very good league and a very good product for fans, unless you're Welsh. But like, what an ending to the season that you can just like like Munster sitting in second at the moment. They could finish fourth, sixth. I think fifth, sixth or sixth. Seven. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like. Um, so what I really liked about this Ulster win was, do you remember maybe two months ago or something like that, we were talking about Ulster and they just have this mantra of just get it done like this fucking, I don't know, like just this attitude of like, yeah, we just go. Now, I know they lost to lose in that game and I know they lost to Munster as well. Don't get me wrong, but it just echoed that. I suppose mantra to me of we're just going to go get a win end of like um and like when you when you think about it like they had a 91 percent success tackle rate they made over 200 tackles in that game like that's a lot they had 38 percent possession they had 31 percent territory like how, how would you say this like they they struggled to get a foothold in the game i think it's fair to say but just came out with a win like it and it shows just how good like i thought james hume unbelievable like just unbelievable nick timoney 25 tackles none missed he's unbelievable i think it, it just shows how quality the likes of josh van der fleer and gary ringrose are to keep guys like this out of ireland teams and i like you both know like i'm a big fan of hume and i'm a big fan of timoney i have been for a while now like but they were incredible in that game like um that back row of Ray Timoney and Vermeulen like I don't know what money those three boys are on put together I don't want to know all I know is it's worth every cent if not more for the foothold or for the work rate and what they give Ulster like incredible as a trio and I might get people in before the last time I was this complimentary about Ulster I got Ulster fans saying why are you so complimentary about Ulster that's you won the game you won away to Edinburgh to put you into is it th- third or fourth place at the moment like or to give you a fighting chance anyway to finish third after playing the Sharks in the last round like it was a very big important Ulster win away to a, a good team and like considering the stats at the end of the game considering how hard they had to work in order to get that win like Ulster fans should be absolutely chuffed with it I think Ulster as well, they, they, like they knew coming into this, I think they had a, an idea that, look, they didn't really rate Edinburgh's attack that highly. And I think they backed themselves to go out there and to piece them up on defence, and they did. Yeah. Uh, and like, I, I think you just look at the, like the, the confidence that Ulster would have had to have after two disappointing weekends, I would say, uh, building up to this. It'd be the easiest thing in the world for them to spiral and lose a narrow game away in Edinburgh. Nobody would have looked at, looked at them sideways for it. You know, it's a tough place to go. Uh, and then you're looking into a last game of the season against the Sharks, and all of a sudden is everything's on the line. And like, but they've turned it around and they've got a lot of very good players. And again, I think I wouldn't look at them the last two weeks. They've, they've had a bit of criticism, I think. But I wouldn't look at the last two weeks as defining Ulster. They played against two good sides and good sides can beat other good sides without necessarily meaning anything existential. I think that Ulster, I think they have the ship righted now. And uh, they've got a big game prepping coming up against the Sharks now in a few weeks. 
they'll be thinking, look, there's no reason why we can't finish strong and like march into the playoffs with a lot of momentum. And uh, they're a side that wouldn't want to be playing in any asp- in any round of that playoff because I think they're, they're going to be a side who will be rested, who'll be fresh, and who will have a bit of a reset after, again, two tough losses. But again, I think that that'll refresh them almost coming into the playoffs. And I think they'll be a tough side for anybody. I think particularly if they can if they can beat the Sharks um, in the last round and get that home quarterfinal, maybe they might get lucky and get a home semifinal out of it as well if the things really go their way. Um, yeah, I was, I was looking at kind of the predictions for the last round and between the top eight at the moment, let's say, and I have Ulster to finish third in my estimations. Like, and when you yeah. think if they lost that Ulster game, they'd currently be sitting like seventh. Like, Tough. That's, that's insane. Like, where are your beloved yeah. monsters sitting in that in in that in that uh, list? You'll find P- out in due course. Oh, spoilers, buddy! <laughs> Spoiler alert! No, I'm only joking. Um, we I suppose I'll tell you all about it next week or whatever it is. But um, like in like in my estimation, I think Ulster will finish third now. So like, you know, two that uh, winning the Sharks in the last round. Spoiler alert! I think they'll win. Um, and that win against Edinburgh. Otherwise, they'd be on 51 points, which is where I see Glasgow sitting in eighth place at the end of it. So <laughs> fucking tight, man. Tight Jesus. as like, do you know what I mean? URC is the best league. Um, this, this is what you want, like, though, isn't it? Like, And I know uh, the only way this this last eighth race could be better is if Leinster failed to get two bonus points somewhere. And yeah. The top spot was still up for grabs somewhere. Like, you know, that's the only way this could be better. That would have added more to it. But even then... So tight from second to to, and even then, like you look at the playoffs to come, so much like is in it's just like it's just really setting up. I don't think they could have planned it any better for it to go to for it to finish so strongly. I think next year actually they might try and run the same thing where South African teams start away from home and then go through long stretches of being at home. I think that's actually suited the league. Actually, yeah, I think it's I, made I it easier. So it's well, yeah. it's given them a bit of a a buff given that they have to go on longer tours than the. Northern teams do because, like, northern teams go on a two week tour down there, but the South African sides have to go on four or five week tours when they're up here. Yeah, so I think it kind of balances it out a small little bit because that's tough going on going on tour for that long. So, yeah, it's been really, really good. Okay, so then moving on to Connacht, um, we start with the off field news, and Matt Healy has announced he will retire at the end of this season. Um, he's Connacht's record try scorer, 58 tries, and was part of the 2016 Pro 12 winning sky side where he scored a try in the final against Leinster. Um, I was actually surprised that he was uh, Connacht's record try scorer. I didn't realize that until I read it today. I would have thought it was uh, maybe Fionn Carr or. Yeah. Fionn, Fionn Carr actually is not a bad shout. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's a good shout. But it's not like I'm still wrong. But yeah, I would have assumed it was to be honest with you. Um, you know, Lightning McQueen in that Cars movie. Never. They should have. They, yeah. they should have called. They should have called him Fionn Carr. Wow. I see. We Probably wouldn't see have had the international that. appeal, but yeah. Yeah, it's like Fionn. You'd have a hmm. car whose surname is Car, then wouldn't they? Yeah, it's kind of really doubling down, letting Tom, people know Tom this Tom is a movie. Tom <laughs> this is a, this is about. Wasn't there a guy who used to coach Connacht something human? Dan Human. We'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a, that's like an and what an alien would pick. <laughs> My name is Dan. He looks around, sees someone. Uh, a human. <laughs> uh, human. <laughs> Do 
you know what? I saw Connacht on Twitter the other day. They were saying, uh, oh, you know, the, you know the, the, the retirement post for Matt Healy. And they were just like, you know, oh, best of luck with the next thing. Heels. And it's just like, that's barely a nickname. That's only one letter shorter than his actual name. Yeah, says your man who gave me a nickname that was one letter different to my first name. Jeg Neville is a really good nickname. Jake Neville, yeah. <laughs> I, you slayed Connacht for doing it. Yet you, yeah, it's like, but it, what is the, I heard somebody calling it was that like uh, calling Jonathan Sexton Sexto. That's just like Sexto. That's just like just you just cut in off. Was that Jamie like, Heaslip? Was it? Oh, it was yeah. Nothing worse than fellas on TV calling him was like, oh yeah, just like like those first years in college dropping say back that, to sixth that, year in secondary say school. That, say that, oh yeah, again. Oh yeah, great <laughs> stuff. Next man up. <laughs> but I, I think we actually need to get the uh, the listeners uh, to send in worse nicknames. Worse nicknames. Yeah. Do you know that there's there's that one there's that one. There's the, the worst one that everybody sends in is just like, oh, the guy, Con Carney, his nickname oh. is Chili. It's like, no, that's not original. Everybody has heard that. And no, you don't know somebody called fucking Con Carney. You just don't. Lee, uh, there was the Cork City player, Liam Carney. His dad was Liam, called. Liam, was, it, was it Con Carney? I hope they, call, I hope they yeah, call him he, Chili. He was, he was called Chili. Yeah, he was called Chili at the time. I remember. Yeah. Will that's the only one I do know. Will we put up a tweet tonight just asking for the best rugby nicknames people have heard? Yeah, there was a guy, best a, guy back, a guy back in West Cork, right? His nickname was his nickname was Boat. And do you know why he was called Boat? Because of the way he sailed through life. It was the fucking worst shit I ever heard. It's like, fuck off. Another fella called Hammer because he always hits the nail in the head. There's shit nicknames. It's fucking shit, yeah, aren't they? Shit. Yeah. Are, they're trying yeah. way too hard. Like, I was oh. laughing at your, oh, yeah, there a minute ago, and it's all just name. gone now. Like, oh, it's not, it's like, you've it's like, lost the audience. Then. I feel no, like, but, I feel no, like but after a monster last. I'm just like, I don't care. This is like, it's just, but, no, but they're genuine names. This is like, they're the worst ones I've ever heard because they're just like, oh, you're just trying too hard now with that boat. The way you sail through life. Yeah. Like, if you have to go no. deep into thinking about a nickname, it's not really a nickname. It's more of an inconvenience, isn't it? I did know a guy in school, uh, in where I went to secondary school, called Shit Pants. That's because he shit his pants once on a tour. I wasn't going to go there at all. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's kind of really that that really is hitting the nail on the head. It's like that's that's um that's bad a nickname one. to have. That's a yeah. rough one. Shit pants. Anyway, oh, because because he shit his pants. Oh, that oh okay. Well, there's, 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 I... Sorry, many other ways you can go with that. Yeah, it's just like, oh, now it makes sense, yeah. Uh, I, I was thinking because he was wearing, you know, pants that weren't that nice, like. Oh, just shit his pants. Ugh. Yeah. Well, look. Moving on. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll, we'll put that out to the listeners then. <laughs> have, you, have you a worse nickname than shit pants? I thought you said we put that out to the listeners. Have you ever shit your pants? Have you ever shit your pants? <laughs> I was like, do have not you, send if, that out. Do not send that out. Have you ever browned your pants? Like and subscribe. <laughs> oh, move on, please. <laughs> this sort of stuff is not available on my OnlyFans. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> Maybe it should be. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a whole different tier. Um, Connacht lost to the Sharks 41-21 on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Connacht got off to a good start and led 21-10 at halftime. 
but a failure to score in the second half made the task of back-to-back wins in South Africa near impossible. Um, Connacht stood up to the challenge for long periods, but the size and physicality of the Sharks told in the end. Um, I suppose Connacht are they are the only side who've won in South, or the only Irish side who've won in South Africa during the regular season. But I'm not too sure, like how this particular defeat sort of sits with the province as a, as they go into the off season because again it's a lot of the same problems that they had throughout the season they're not scoring in the sort of the last quarter second half they're having problems against bigger physical sides um <clears throat> and i'm i'm wondering have connacht done enough with their new signings um to be able to address some of those issues for next season. Tom, we'll go to you first on that one. Uh, I, do, I don't think so. Not, not fully, not yet. Uh, I think they need some guys to develop also. Look, I, I think after they lost at the weekend there, they did really, really, really well in the first half. Uh, second half though, kind of it, it, it happens. Look, the Sharks, are, they're a big side, like they're a big physical team. Uh, I, I think looking at where the guys who Connacht have brought in, um, good players. Some of them have the physicality that they need, I think. A guy like Josh Murphy, for example, I think is a really, really underrated player. Um, as a back row, I think that in the second row, I think they still need a bit more there, a bit more physicality. Um, I think with Prendergast on the right track there, Again, like I wouldn't be, sh- I, I I would like to see a conic side that had a kind of a four lock pack, Prendergast, Murphy, and then go like Dowling maybe, and uh, the other fucking lad whose name escapes me now, uh, Murray or Fafita, uh, Fafita or like or Murray or whatever, like go with those lads, and and try a build like that. I think one of the things that I see consistently with Connacht is, and like maybe go with like Connor Oliver at eight or whatever you want to put him, but just have. Just go with that extra size. That's one thing I look with, at Connacht that I feel they do need to be more consistent because they've played really well in stretches this season. I think nobody could nobody could doubt that. But I think their overall consistency comes down to that they often need way too much to go right for them in a game um, for like for them to hang on in there. I mean, sure, like we've been over this before, Jeff. Uh, how we picked out that their last twenty minute, you know, their, their record in the last twenty minutes. I think that comes back to physicality. Oftentimes they're too much, they're like they're on the back foot too often. They're kicking too far for the guys that they have. Uh, and I think that they, it'll go some way to improving it, the guys they brought in. Um, but I think they, I think there are a couple of players away yet. Um, and again, I think Andy friend is in his, is this his fourth year, fourth season coming up, I think is it. Um, I think, you know, again, it depends on budget. We have to see who they get in. I think next season that they'll certainly be better. But if all the other teams are improving as well, I think they're a couple of players away from kind of creeping into that ninth, eighth spot, you know, getting into the playoffs. I think they're one or two guys away yet from being that level consistently over the course of the season. Yeah, I think they, from well, I think Andy Friend had mentioned that they, they still have only one signing, I think it is, to come in. I think they're hoping to get a, a tight head in for a sort of a, Back up to Finley Beelham. So I'm 
I, I think they're they have pretty much their business done for this this part or, or for the for next season um already. Um I tend to agree with you. I think they're they've added to their squad, but again, they've not gone out and signed necessarily um solutions to all their problems. And I think they're gonna have a real battle on their hands to get back into the the Europe the Champions uh, Cup spots for next season. And I think that's going to be their biggest problem longer term is that it that will impact on who they can sign and it'll also impact on their budget because it, because as we've talked about before on this pod, it's not just about sort of the players and things like that. It's the sponsorship and um deals that come with getting into the the Champions Cup and the the money that flows on the back of that. So I think if they were to miss out on it for two, maybe three years, then that's where they could see bigger problems in trying to evolve that squad into, into something better. It's, um, I don't know, when it comes to the Sharks beating the beating Connacht, like, I don't think, do you know the way like we talk about Connacht in the final quarter, all that jazz? I wouldn't be so quick and in this game to beat them up because they're definitely not the first team to fade in South Africa in the second half. And I'm not like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, it's okay to do. I'm just saying like it happened once as well. Like, do you know? And But I think there's a difference. I'm sorry to go across you. There's a difference between where you're playing both sides at altitude, which, uh, Munster did they they played both the Bulls and the Lions at altitude versus you play the Sharks and the Stormers both at sea level okay that that would be my my only sort of thing coming back on it is that you know it's it's not that much different they are bigger they are bigger players it is a the sort of squad and pack that have ground Connacht down before but that's that's the level that they're they're now playing at I just think over the course of a season you see the size issue for Connacht more so than in one particular game, one way or the other, because they are capable of, of overcoming the size differential over course of a season in the odd game here or there, like for certain, like when, they, when they've got size parity, they win more games than not, you know? And I just think that when it comes to like getting to where they want to be, which is to be, you know, finishing top five, top four in, in, in the URC, they just need to scale up in size a little bit, I think, just to get a bit more size in the field. In the pack, certainly, because again, you look at guy, a guy like Bundy Aki, one of the best players in the country, like by far. You know, like you know, he's a guy who for me would start an Ireland game if it was being playing tomorrow. Like you know, you look at the quality they have there. I just think a bit more, and again, like I think a bit of size, the tight head um, as a backup could go a long way to just tipping the scales for them. Because I don't think they're far away. I don't think they're far away at all. I just think again, a couple of more, one or two more players, a uh, bit more size, and they can play with a little bit more consistency. Yeah, uh, so then moving on to the women's Six Nations, uh, Ireland beats Scotland 15-14 on Saturday night in Belfast thanks to a last-minute try and conversion from Enya Breen. Ireland had led 8-5 at the break due to a try from Eve Jones, but Ireland's discipline let them down and Helen Nelson kicked Scotland into the lead in the second half with three penalties before the last kick of the game swung in Ireland's favour and gave them a fourth-place finish in the table. Jeff, what did you make of the game? Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't see it on the day. I had to go back and uh, I watched it on Monday night. Um, 
but I felt it was a very good game. There's a few things I'd question in regards, um, like if we look at it from, I suppose, an analysis point of view, which I suppose is what we're doing, isn't it? Like, but scrum and lineout are in massive trouble. Uh, I know they had no scrum coach there during the week for family reasons, and uh, you know these things happen. But given it's an international team, I feel maybe bringing in another scrum coach for that week wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. Um, the lineout was was not great, uh, to say the least. And it's funny, like I suppose it was inconsistent is the word I'm looking for because there was one penalty Ireland went for the lineout. And I was just thinking to myself, this is, this is mad. Like you, you've lost lineouts left, right and centre. Like, and then it went very, very well. So it kind of goes to show like, what do I know? But overall, like that set piece needs a lot of work. I felt, um, I felt, look, um, I felt Michelle Claffey made a huge difference when she came onto the game. Um, she had a ball of touches. She joined malls, just go forward ball that Ireland needed. Um, and that helped create the platform. Uh, for for Enya to score at the end, um, I felt Nikki Coffey was brilliant uh, coming back in. I think she should have been in a twenty three before this just to take a lot of pressure off Cronin. Um, you know, I it, I don't think it should have taken an injury to Cronin. Let's say to see to see Nikki come back in. Um, I thought Vicky Ehrman on debut was probably the best Irish fifteen we've seen um, throughout those five games, and we've seen four different ones like, but she was the most assured. Um, and given the fact that she was on debut as well, just makes that even, you know, I suppose all the more impressive. Like when you think about it, if you look back to the first kind of kick that goes deep to Ireland across all five games, the first four games, the first kick that goes deep, it's not dealt with well. Like, and that just creates pressure. You now it's, it's, it's not that they lose possession. It's either that the kick, it, they're not positioned correctly. Like the kick is longer than they think or whatever it is, or it just takes longer to deal with. And, suddenly you're dealing with a much more difficult pressured situation than you would be if you if, if it was dealt with correctly the first time if you look at the first kick against Scotland however that goes deep I think it actually could be off kickoff um Irwin like claims it so well like uh, and they just play later on in the game again another kick goes in I'm pretty sure Irwin actually jumps over another player to claim the ball like she was that adamant that she was cleaning up everything that Scotland kicked so I felt she had a very impressive debut. Um, a couple of things I'd question now, to be honest with you, like um, like Ireland went for a six three or a six two split in the bench, didn't use three forwards. Um, like I just don't, I don't know why you'd go for a six two split against Scotland and not England first off if you were going to do it, um, and then for the second time, you're not using some of your forwards off the bench. So like, there's all this talk of building. And creating, I suppose, something new and inspiring trust and everything. But I mean, how are you inspiring trust in a player who sits on the bench for two full internationals? And what I will say is, there are games, and I, I this is this is a caveat. Like there are games that are tight, and you don't bring them off a bench. And I get that. Like I hundred percent do get that. But like if you look at Chloe Pierce, she was sitting on a bench when Ireland were thirty five points down against France as well, which is bullshit in any language. Um, you know. Um, so yeah, there was there was ups and downs to be honest with you. Um, I thought though the manner of which they won was excellent. Um, really just grabbed hold of the game. This is this sounds kind of weird, maybe like it's probably because I knew the score at the end, but 
even watching it back, it felt like Ireland were in control an awful lot. Does that make sense? Like, I, I know they were losing until the 82nd or 83rd minute, but I just felt they were actually quite comfortable in the game. I, I know what you mean in, in terms of that, that they, they seemed like, and they probably should be, the more dominant team overall. If you look, if you look at sort of the, the how the tournament played out, like you know, um, I w- I would say Ireland at a level overall would have been somewhere on par with Wales, it, and then you have it. That would be the sort of the tier that Ireland are looking at. I think you have uh, sort of England and France at the top. I think you have Ireland and Wales underneath, and in the bottom tier is almost Scotland and Italy, and you would hope that Ireland would have enough to beat Scotland. But going back to your, your points there, I think there has been some some questionable stuff around the squad selection, team selection, and the use of players. And I mean, it, it goes back to the very beginning in terms of how the seventh players were used, how they built towards the Italy game, whether you were going to use that mix and match that how they led into the England game, dropping in players who hadn't been in the original squad, suddenly coming out of nowhere and starting. Um, and again, not a slight on any of the players that have come in oh, yeah, to, do, to, to yeah. do that. It's it's not their fault. But if if that was the original game, if that was the original plan at the, at the start of the tournament, then why weren't they involved? At least in some way or named in some squad. Um, you know, it... It doesn't seem that, to me, from the outside, it doesn't seem like there was a, co- a coherent plan necessarily with the players or with the squad as to how they were going to use those players, how they were going to build it or create something for it. Now, there may have been more around what they wanted to do style-wise and things like that um, or tactically, but I I haven't seen too much around it. And I think there's, there's still a lot of questions Questions around not necessarily the players, but I think certainly around the the management team as to what what they're going to do now, what they've learned from this, um, and where they go from beyond this. They've got the tour to Japan in August, um, and they they can try build from that. And it'll be interesting to see whether they continue on with this style of play, whether they change things up, or how they go sort of go from it. But I mean, and Tom, I'll come to you on this one now. Like in, in terms of what Ireland can take and the positives they can take from, from the Six Nations and sort of transfer it towards that tour in, in August, what do you think of the, the sort of the main things that they can they can look at um, and sort of bring some positivity towards the, the tour in, in Japan? I think their defence was good over the course of the tournament. Uh, you look at, the, okay, look, the England game was something of an aberration. I thought physically they showed up well there. Uh, they scored some nice tries in multi-phase. To an extent, you could look at elements of the scrum and the line-out that they're really bad right now. If they can pull those together, on top of having a pretty good defensive system, good players, like again, you would look at some of the star players they have, I think Linda Jugang, uh, you look at the likes of Dorothy Wall, the likes of uh, Bivine Parsons, like... I think that they have the quality there to way outperform what we've seen so far in this Six Nations. But it's just, again, a lot of that stuff is time together, time on the field. Maybe it isn't possible to do when you're doing it at an amateur level. 
you know i i know they i know they get match appearance fees or whatever but like it's it, 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 it's difficult to pull together an elite lineout and an elite scrum with way less prep time than the teams you want to be beaten you know the likes of an england the likes of a france it's very very difficult to to get to their level um but like i was talking today with uh Imer Constantine and she was talking about how like the girls now who are coming in have you know 13 years of experience of playing the game when they're coming in and starting you know they're like like they've been playing since they were very very young she was saying when she came in she only she only played three or four games of 15s so the base level that they're starting at is good but it needs to be pulled together i think the sooner they can get in a high performance manager get some pro contracts out there then you'll start to see an improvement until then i think you're going to see things fluctuating up and down uh, and elements like the set piece will always be undermined because you know you know you know yourselves set piece comes down to time in the time in the on the training field repetition and ju- just being able to prepare as best as possible if you can't do that you're always going to be second raters because the set piece is so important in this game especially in in the women's game so until that's fixed they will fluctuate up and down but there's, there's good players and i think as soon as they can get a solid pro base there or semi pro even I think they'll be in a position then where they can really start improving. Uh, and that tour, if they can get some good time together ahead of that tour in uh, in August, I think that you could be looking at some good performances there and building a bit of momentum going into, if they have some uh, some tests later in the year and heading into next year's Six Nations, that'll be the important thing. Uh, okay, we'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, as it really helps. And also be sure to share the podcast on social media. Uh, hope you have a good week. Your provincial team wins, and the three of us will be in the Aviva on Saturday. So chat again next week. Music.